Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Play ball! It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the first official episode of Season 2 of 30 with Murdy. We had a couple thrown in there earlier with some Yankee prospects. Also, Ice Cube. Go back and check that out if you uh, missed any of our talks in the offseason. I'm looking forward to not only talking to some more baseball lifers during Season 2, but also telling you some unique stories. Should be a fun year here on the podcast that I hope uh, more than just Yankee fans can enjoy. I had a lot of fun last year with the conversations Hopefully we'll have more of the same this year. We start season two off with one of the great Yankees from the 1970s, Greg Nettles. Nettles spent 11 of his 22 major league seasons with the Yankees, helping them win four pennants, two World Series, power hitter, gold glove third baseman, team captain. He checks all those boxes. Nettles and I spoke back in February when he was in New York for the annual Thurman Munson Awards. Nettles told me some real fun memories of Munson, along with the story. I'd never heard how he and Reggie Jackson flew from Seattle to Anaheim in a plane piloted by Thurman Munson only a few weeks before Munson's fatal crash in 1979. Nettles also spoke to me about growing up in San Diego in the same neighborhood that produced Ted Williams, his long histories with Billy Martin and George Steinbrenner, how he came to the Yankees in a way that probably constitutes tampering nowadays. Uh, Nothing came of it then. Nettles and I also talked about the controversial Bronx Zoo days of the 70s, his thoughts on Reggie Jackson's arrival in 1977, his lack of recognition at New Yankee Stadium with so many more players Beyond the Immortals being honored in Monument Park, I have long considered Nettles worthy of a plaque, and we talk about that absence and why it hurts him not to be recognized alongside many of his former teammates. Greg Nettles spent a little more than 30 with Murdy. Here's our conversation. What can you tell me about the first baseball game you ever went to? What do you remember? First game I ever went to was in San Diego when my uh, they were the AAA San Diego Padres. My, my father was a policeman, and he used to... That was one of one of his uh, overtime gigs, I guess, was to, to go down to the stadium and be security. So I was down there, I was down there at probably five and six years old, down there watching watching AAA baseball. I thought that was the greatest baseball there ever could be. You remember who about what year that was and who was playing? Uh, it was probably uh, 1950, 51, 49. They had some old guys, uh, Max West, Jack Graham, Buddy Peterson. I just heard Luke Easter. Uh, I remember a lot of those guys. They were, I mean, I used to go home and try to copy their, everything they did at the plate, try to try to copy the way they pitched, the way they hit. It was great. And I guess the, the legend of Ted Williams was probably the biggest thing in San Diego growing up then, right? right? Well, it was because uh, Ted and I grew up in the same neighborhood, probably about six or eight blocks apart. Um, you know, he was all anybody ever talked about because I played at the same playground where Ted played, uh, obviously a few years later, you know, 20 years later. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he was the, 
he was the man in San Diego, so he was he was everybody's idol. Even though, I mean, I, I hate to say it as a Yankee, but he, the Red Sox <laughs> was my idol, you know. But he was great. I remember when when I played with San Diego after I left the Yankees, uh, the the ownership in San Diego was was trying to uh, getting good with the people in San Diego, and they were they went they wanted to name uh, like playgrounds and ballparks after some of the Padres. So they asked me, they said, what do you want, you know, you want to name a playground after you? I said, yeah, I'd love my name on a playground. I told them where the playground was, and they came back, and they told me, I said, we can't do it. I said, why? He says, because it's Ted Williams' state ballpark, you know. I said, no, I, Ted Williams' playground, I couldn't, uh, so I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't ask him to take his name down. Did you get a chance in your days to meet him or talk to him and tell him about where you guys grew up, talk about that? Yeah, Yes, I did, you know, and the funny, funny story is that, uh, he knew of me, and I didn't know that he knew of me because we were playing. I was with the Twins at the time in spring training, and we were playing against the Washington Senators, and he was managing the Washington Senators. Um, I hit a home run in the game, and as I, he's in the third base dugout. As I come around in third base, I hear this guy out of the dugout holler out, you know, home run San Diego high, and I just looked at him. I knew it was his voice. I just kind of looked at him. I wanted to go over and shake his hand, but I, I couldn't do that at that time. But that was great that he he knew who I was and he appreciated the, the yeah. home run. Yeah, that's not something that everybody gets to do. That's pretty cool. No, that's pretty good. Uh, did did you get me, to meet him? Again I got to meet him later. Yeah, I, I met him. Uh, well, I met him at a, at a banquet in San Diego after he was retired, and obviously, and I, I'd been in the big leagues for a while, but uh, he re- he remembered the situation, and I did, obviously, so it was, made me feel good that somebody like him would, would know who I was. You mentioned coming up in the Twins organization, your manager, Triple A, I didn't realize, was a guy that you ended up knowing for a long time. Billy Martin took over one year uh, when you were Triple A. Yeah, we had, uh, we had a not a real good team in Triple A. We had got up, well, we got off to a bad start the first month of the season. We were in last place, and so the the Twins sent Billy down. He was their, I think he was their first base coach maybe at the time, and uh, they sent him down to manage in uh, AAA, and Billy turned us around right away. He got us going, got us believing in ourselves, and, you know, we ended up, uh, I don't know if we won the pennant, but we, we, uh, we made a, a great improvement, though. What do you remember about Billy Martin, AAA manager, versus the guy you got to know later in the big leagues? Well, it's funny because uh, when, when Billy was there for the first couple of weeks, I hated him. <laughs> I mean, I, I hated him. He's always yelling and screaming at players, and I'm the I'm the kind of guy that didn't need somebody to yell and scream at me. Just point out my mistakes without screaming at me, and I'll I'll, I'll try to correct them. But he was that was his way of doing it, and I di- I didn't like it at all. And after I say three or four weeks, we started winning and winning and winning. I saw, I saw the the method is madness, and I I end up really enjoying him. I love the guy, and uh, you know, end up coming to the big leagues the next year with him with the Twins. When uh, you're done with the Twins, you ended up going to Cleveland, you traded to the Indians. You spent three years playing at the time when I would guess Cleveland baseball is probably at its lowest point the early 70s giant municipal stadium nobody's there what was that like it was it was it was it was awful to tell you the truth it was i enjoyed living in cleveland my kids were two of my uh, children were born there I, I enjoyed living there but going down to that ballpark every day was just it was uh, it wasn't fun at all because it 
you know, it seated 80,000 people. And we, we would get 50,000 people opening day. And then for the rest of the spring and summer, we'd get four and 5,000 people. And it was just, it, was, it wasn't fun at all. We were a, we were a bad team and, and the fans were, you know, all the comedians sat in the front row. So it, it, made, it, a little, it made it a little tougher on us, you know. So when I got traded, it was the best thing for me. Yeah, you got traded to the Yankees, and I found the date interesting. It was, it was only about five or six weeks before George Steinbrenner ended up officially buying the team. So you predated him by a little while. Do you remember what the feeling was when I mean, you hadn't st- even put on a uniform yet, but here's this guy and his the new ownership group comes into the Yankees who, when you were coming to the league, weren't a very good team. What do you remember about arriving there and, and George's arrival? Well, I remember when I got traded there, uh, the reason I got traded there was Ralph Halk was the manager and he liked me. And Ralph, Ralph liked me a lot as, a, as an opposing player and so he... He would come out sometimes to argue on the field somewhere, and he'd come by me. He says, "I really want you on my team." You know, if I'd be tampering, tampering these days, now. yeah. But he'd say, I, "I want you on my team." Well, the next couple of years later, he trades for me, and um, you know, it's CBS owned the team and didn't think anything of it. And then I got traded in December in the off season. I think George bought the team in January. Uh, so when we started the, my first season with the Yankees, George owned the team. And you know, he said, "I'm going to be a silent owner. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to. I'm not going to say." I, I brought Gabe Paul along, which was a, another story in itself, because Gabe Paul was our general manager in Cleveland. And here he goes. He he trades. Uh, you know, arguably, arguably his his best player, which was me. He traded me to the Yankees, and then he followed me over there a couple months later. So. I, was, I had no that, part. Do you know that was happening? I didn't. I had no idea that was happening. And once uh, Mr. Steinbrenner bought the team, he's and he brought uh, Al Rosen and uh, Gabe Paul over. I I started thinking. I was, I was thinking like first of all, I said Gabe, thanks. I thanked him for trading me from Cleveland, New York, and then I I didn't know what to think when he when he came over. But I I, I had no I had no part of that. So so wait a second. The manager of the Yankees comes over to you all the time, tells you they want to trade for you. Right. Then all of a sudden, when you do get traded, the guy who traded you ends up being the new general manager two months later. That's there's a something fishy. fishy, a fishy. We didn't. This was uh, <laughs> I think this. I don't know if this is before Watergate in the <laughs> investigations or whatever, but I know nowadays they would have, uh, they would have, everybody would be uh, it would be examining that trade, and the might be the commissioner might have put a stop to it. You never know. So it was actually a, a great benefit to you and to the Yankees, obviously. After that happened, but I, I, you start. You played one year at, at Old Yankee Stadium before it remodeled. You had 22 home runs there. Then you spent the two years playing at Shea Stadium while the renovations were happening. You had 22. Then you had 21. First year, New Yankee Stadium. Well, not new now, but you know the '76 right. version of it. 32 home runs. 32 home runs. Then 37. Then 27. Was there something about the? Well, way the new ballpark was designed that helped you out. Well, yes, it was a little little easier to hit home runs in Yankees than than Shea. Uh, I remember Bobby Mercer was on the team that time. Bobby, I think he went to the last game of the season before he hit a home run at Shea Stadium. I mean, the, the, it just intimidated him, but it it didn't really intimidate me. I mean, I figured you still have to hit the ball 350 feet to get a home run. So, so but when we moved back into the stadium. And the the bad part about playing at Shea was that. The, the true Yankee fans wouldn't go to Shea Stadium. I I didn't know that, but, but I think our old our old uh, 
clubhouse guy, Pete Sheehy, said, you know, he said the, the true Yankee fans won't go watch you at Shea. And he was right. I mean, we got – it was a – it was a blast for the Mets fans because they had two years of just hating us and just going out. Opening day, we got booed and we took the field because they were all the Mets fans. And they said, it'll be better when you get back into the new stadium. And when we got back in the new stadium in 76, I mean, I looked out there and I saw that fence out there. I said, man, this is this is made for me. So I hit 32 home runs that year, which led the league, which is not not anything great any, anymore. But I think the closest guy to me that year was maybe 27 or 28. So I wanted my I wanted going away. That's in the day when you could hit 20 to 30 home runs and you were considered a, a power threat. Now now you're just in now the middle you, of that. Back that way again. Yeah, I, mean, I hope you can, so. You can you can still be a 25 home run guy now and still be a threat. I think I think the games become a little more honest that way. I hope so. I, I mean, they just they cheapened the home run for so long that it just. Kind of, kind of upsets. You know, when I retired, I was uh, after the 1988 season. I was, I was 24th on the all-time home run list. It had been played, game had been played for 100 over 100 years. I was only 24 guys that hit more home runs than me. I was, I was pretty proud of that. And then 20 years later, I'm, I'm 30 years now. I'm back in about the 60s or 70s. So it's just so many guys are hitting so many home runs. Now. That's still a pretty good number. I didn't know what where you ranked. That's still a pretty good number. You're just just shy of 400. Yeah, career. 390. Yeah, and I, you know, 400 was the magic number in those days. And I remember I said hey, I'd like to go for 400. And so my last year, I started in my last year in Montreal, and I had I had 389 home runs. I said, man, I I got to do it. I got to do it. So my first at bat in Montreal, I hit a home run, pinch hitting home run. I said, oh God, I got a chance. At it. Well, I finished the year with one home run. So, <laughs> so, so I so told people it would take me 10 more years to, to get to 400 at that rate. And being 44 at the time, I don't think they were going to wait around for me. I was just going to mention that. Don't sell yourself short. You were 44 years old when you, you know, took the uniform off. Not many people get to do that. Um, and that was, you know, that was day and age when you got to 35, you were probably you over know, the hill, yeah, right? Yeah, 34 was kind of the magic number. If you got to 34, you had a long career. Yeah. And I remember telling my wife the, my first spring training I went to, we just got married right after I signed. I said, um, you know, I'll give this three years. If I'm not getting any better or moving up anywhere, I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to use my college education and we'll do something. So, But after two or three years, I could see that I was moving up. And so, you know, 23 years later, everybody told me they didn't want me. You know? Do you remember your last at bat? No. I, th- I thought about it, and I don't know. It probably wasn't because I didn't do much after that first at bat of the year. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I played the, the whole year. I remember the first at bat my last year, but not the last. Block the rest of that. I'll tell you what I know about it because I looked it up. October 1st, 1988. Um, it's the next to last day of the season. You came up as a pinch hitter for a rookie left-hander for the Expos, making his fifth big league start. You know what I'm talking about? It was Randy Johnson. You pinch hit oh, for pinch Randy hit Johnson, for Randy. I remember and that jo- was your last time. I remember he joined us that last mm-hmm. month. He was a big fella. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was that, isn't that something? You know, somebody asked me, what did, what did I do in my last at bat as a Yankee? Well, and I couldn't remember that either. So I went back and looked and looked because that was uh, 1983. I got traded in the spring of '84. So I went back and looked, and I think my last home run was as a pinch. Uh, you know, I I, I I probably went over my last. I kept looking at these old box scores. I said, 
over four, over <laughs> four. Over. Finally, I saw a home run. I, I think I went in to pinch hit in that game and hit a home run as wow. a Yankee. Wow. I couldn't be sure, but you could look it up. I'll look it up later, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we'll pause for a moment right there because I looked it up. Nettles had a game-tying pinch hit home run in the ninth inning of his next-to-last Yankees game in 1983. He played one more game to end that season, went 0 for 4. Now back to our conversation. The one thing I found interesting about you is that you, in your long career, you were not a high-average guy, but you were also a guy that, surprisingly, when I say not a high-average, 250, you know, but... You had nine different years where you drew more walks than struck out. Yeah. And I th- for a guy who was considered a power hitter at the time, yeah. I thought that was a pretty amazing well, thing. Well, that used to be a, a kind of a pride thing. You, you, 100 strikeouts, if you went over 100 strikeouts, you were, you know, you were considered a, it was a, it was a demerit on your, on your job. Now guys don't care if they strike out 200 times. Yeah, yeah. But 100 strikeouts is bad. I always tried to keep it in the 70s or 80s or 90s. I might have struck out 100 times, maybe once, but... But yeah, I walks, walks, strikeouts, uh, runs, and RBIs were the things I, I, I cared about. And the, the average didn't really. I mean, I would have loved to have hit 300 or 350. Everybody would like to do that. But but there's so many times when when you're on a when you're up with nobody on, and you're, you're down a couple runs, and nobody's on base, two outs. A, a single doesn't do you any good because it's going to take two more hits to score you. So you've got to try to hit a double or possibly a home run. So. But a lot of guys don't think that. They they just I see guys now with in that situation, two outs, nobody on. They're they're content to slap a single to left field. Well, you know what? What really good have you done your team? You 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 know you're not getting the score unless you can steal second. It's not a real good move. You got to try to drive the ball, and that's that was my theory at all times. When you finally did get to move into Yankee Stadium again, all the pieces were there, and you guys went on a little bit of a roll. You know, 76, you get to the World Series, win it in 77, 78, go back in 81. Uh, just a, a phenomenal era for the Yankees after having kind of gone through a really, really dark period. Um, 78 is the one that is kind of the one that is a, is a stamp for you and your career because of the, the great plays we see from that World Series. And, you know, that's back when you know, you have three networks to choose from, and everybody's watching the World Series. Everybody sees you make the great plays on TV, and that's kind of stuck to you. But I, I saw a quote from you where, you know, you were kind of an, it seemed, correct me if I'm wrong, it seemed like you were annoyed a little bit because you said, I'm not an overnight success. Like, that was something you had been doing for a really long time. It just so happened somebody, find, you know, 50 million people finally saw it. Right. I had I had, had uh, you know, I had had better games than that I, I i think i told them after the game I, I said i've had better games but never a bigger game i mean I, I i had games in cleveland where you know there's nobody watching this and i was making <laughs> plays out of my butt you know and then i got to new york and i was, I was still making the plays you know but but we hadn't been in a world series i hadn't let the whole nation see how we could play and i was just i was fortunate enough to have a have a great play a great game when everybody was watching did you um do people still talk to you about those those plays? Watching those plays? Yeah, they. Uh, you know, and the funny thing is, when when I signed my first professional contract, uh, the scout, with the Twins, and the front office of the Twins, they say you you'll go as far as your bat will carry you. You know, what I mean, like we'll try to find a position for you. You know, and so I, uh, you know, and I thought, well, these guys must know more about it than I am, than I do. So. 
you know, I mean, I worked, I worked, I worked real hard in my, on my defense. Once I got mm-hmm. traded to Cleveland and Al Dark said, you're my third baseman, I, I'm, I'm, I worked very, very hard at it. Led the league in fielding my first year at third base. I said, well, I guess I'm going to win a gold glove. Nope, Brooks won it, you know. <laughs> and I didn't realize how gold gloves went that. I just, you know, then it's voted on and all that. But but I had I had good success defensively. And nowadays when people, oh, you know, they introduce themselves to me or, or see who I am, they go, they introduce me as the best fielding third baseman they've ever seen or something like that. Whereas, you know. Yeah, 390 home runs, you know. I mean, all they ever talked to me about is my feeling, which, which I get real proud about because it's something that I, I had to work. Nat, hitting came natural, but fielding I had to really work at. What was the first? Do you remember the year you won your first gold glove? 77. So you, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you were the first, you were the guy who dethroned Brooks because he had retired, right? I think so. I mean, I, I, uh, Aurelio, he won 16 in a row. Yeah, Aurelio Rodriguez might have been in there somewhere, okay. too, either before or after me. But, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I mean, and I'm proud of it, the fact that I have uh, I have two records, defensive records, that still stand. You know, assists in a season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did it twice. I got a 400, over 400. Nobody, barely, guys don't even get over 300 now. And I, I had assists and double plays by a third baseman, which... I mean, those, those are records that have stood for 40 years. So. Okay, let's pause for a moment because I looked this up too. Nettles was right. Aurelio Rodriguez, the original A-Rod of the Detroit Tigers, won the gold glove in 1976, ending Brooks Robinson's 16-year hold on the award. Nettles won back-to-back gold gloves after that in 1977 and 78. Now we continue. Your era of the Yankees, playing with the Yankees, also included, you know, some of the great rivalries. And it's different now. You know, when people think about Yankees-Red Sox, the Royals with the playoff battles, even even inside your own clubhouse, Yankees versus Yankees seemed to be its own rivalry. Did you guys like anybody back then? Yeah, we liked them. Yeah, we did. We liked, oh, we love Kansas City. They made us a lot of money. <laughs> That's what I tell people. They say, don't you and Kansas City hate each other? I go, no, I love those guys. I love the Red Sox. <laughs> in those days, they made us a lot of money. But, um, yeah, we had some turmoil in the clubhouse. We had a lot of big egos. We had Reggie, and we had we had Thurman, we had Billy, and, they, you know, they all kind of wanted to be there. And I liked it because I could just sit back and kind of watch it all as it, as, it, as it just, you know, went right in front of my eyes there. Was it? Was it a madhouse every day? Was it little pockets of stuff that happened? I mean, there was obviously a lot of attention on you because you guys were were championship-caliber team then. But was it... We know some of the crazy things that happened, but was it that way every day? I wouldn't say every day. I'd say maybe three or four times a week, though. <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was always interesting to see what, what the headlines were going to be the next day. Because, you had, like I said, you had, you had Reggie Jackson, you had Thurman, you had Billy, and you had George. All of them wanted, yeah. all of them wanted to... To be in the headlines, mm-hmm. and so it, it made it was made it easy for the rest of us. Made it easier for us to relax and just watch these guys go about their 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 funny business. You had played against Reggie for a long time. When he joins you, you guys are American League champions uh, in '76. He he joins you for the '77 season. What was it like adding him to that mix? What did you think of that? Well, he got off on the wrong foot to start with when he said, you know, he's a straw that can stir the drink, and Thurman's can only think, uh, stir it bad, yeah. you know. Wrong thing to say when you come in and you're not going to 
you're not going to endear yourself to any of your teammates when you rip your the team captain. You know, and Thurman was our leader and he was our captain. So uh, Reggie got off on the wrong foot, and it just uh, kind of snowballed from there. So it just, you know. I, the problem that a lot of us had with Reggie was that we thought Reggie should have been a DH instead of a right fielder because he was not a very good right fielder. And But he wanted to, you know, he knew if he was a DH, he would only be seen for 10 minutes a night on the field. <laughs> and he, I think he wanted to see, be seen for two hours on the field, no matter how he played right field. But, uh, you know, that's the problem. If he would have just accepted the DH role, then he probably would have got along with everybody just great. He was, he was like, uh, I guess, 30 by the time he joined you guys, but he was a pretty good athlete and outfielder earlier in his career. Oh, yeah, he was, yeah. but, it, but he wasn't then. Yeah. I mean, it happened to all of us eventually. What happened after game six? He hits three home runs. You guys are world champs. This whole, the, all the turmoil that he has been a part of during the course of the season, does it all melt away after one night? Well, that was, that's... I wish he had done it earlier. I mean, we'd have, he would have been in our good graces the whole the whole year. But I mean, he you know he 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 talked a big game and he backed it up in, in that in that World Series. I mean, he had, that's that's pretty good. Uh, you know, something that we'd all like to have done: get three home runs in a World Series. But he he, he did a good job of uh, you know, and he was a good teammate because he because he he worked hard. I'll say he worked hard, and he he. He deflected all the attention away from the guys that didn't want the attention. So, in that respect, he was a, he was a good teammate. As you and I are talking now, um, we're here for the Thurman Munson Awards, and uh, it's an annual event that still draws a lot of attention, and it, it brings his name back. Which you know, at Yankee Stadium it happens a lot, but it's just nice to have his name brought up once every year and what he represented. What do you remember about? just being teammates with Thurman Munson that people who only see a couple of film clips today might not be aware of. You know, everybody's heard that what a great competitor he was. He he was a, you know, I'd see him crawling back to the dugout sometimes after getting foul tips off the ankles and the shins and the wrists and everything. But he'd go out there and play every day. And that, I mean, that's the way the players were in those days. You, you, none of us felt a hundred percent, but we went out and played. Um, you, you didn't. If you thought you were going to hurt your team by playing, you wouldn't. You wouldn't play. But if you go out there with a few bumps and bruises, you know. And Thurman had more bumps and bruises than anybody. And he went out there and played every day, every day, and hit 300. Drove in his runs. I mean, he was probably the best cleanup hitter I ever played with. He he drove in 100 runs one year. I don't think he hit 10 home runs. But he would put the ball in play when it when there was a runner in scoring position. I, I remember you telling a story one time about his competitive desire uh, and how it just became something to laugh about when you guys went to the Superstars competition in uh, in Hawaii. Was it in Hawaii? Yeah. Um, I guess the swimming event was something that... Uh, you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we had a swimming event where you had to go up, swim one length of the pool and turn around and come back. It was a relay race. And so it's a funny story, too, because we had... Uh, we had Doc Ellis was on our team, and and Doc kept telling us that he grew up in Beverly Hills, and he says I'm a great athlete. I can do all these events. He could do a bicycle riding and volleyball, and we had all these events. And Doc kept screwing up every one of them. <laughs> he screwed up every event, and, and so it comes down to picking our swimming team. And Doc goes, Oh man, I grew up in Beverly Hills, man. I can swim. I had a pool every. 
Yeah, Doc. Doc grew up in uh, Compton, so he. But he was, you know, Doc was kind of a BSer, which he's a beautiful man. But so finally, we said, "No, Doc, you're off the swimming team. You're off the swimming team. Thurman, you're on the swimming team." So we got Thurman. We were going against the Cincinnati Reds, and these guys were just chugging. They were doing everything right. Thurman dove in the pool, and he got about halfway through the first lap, and he just kind of rolled over like a big old manatee. You know, he just kind of rolled over, and the other teams, the other teams just, the other team, the Reds just flew right by us, and they won the relay race. Well, Doc Ellis at the end of the race was all over Doc. Says you should have let me swim. He dove in the pool. He must have he must have taken him five seconds to swim that lap. Man, did like a spin turn and came right back. You know, he just come on, Doc. I mean, he was a Doc was a truly funny man. Ah, uh, this is the uh, and but we thought Thurman was going to drown. He he did a couple of rolls like uh, wow. Did somebody go in and get him? <laughs> it just was a little too much for him. Huh? You, what, the the day, you know, you you were you were there the day, um, you know, the off day. Uh, when you found out, when you found out the news, what, we've had a couple of recent events where, you know, a lot of ball players have died tragically too soon. What do you remember about that day? Was it was different though? Was it something different? It was about different. It? Uh, you know, it was an off day, and uh, Catfish Hunter lived right across the street from me, and he came over about. It was dark, so it was probably eight o'clock at night, and he knocked the door. So what's up, Cat? He goes, Thurman's dead. I go, Nah, come on now, what's going on? He goes. Thurman is dead. He, he crashed his plane. And I had been on that plane with him uh, in in Thurman's plane. We, he had it on a road trip. He took it on. He was just learning to fly. He had his instructor with him. We took it on a road trip out to Seattle, and we we're flying down to Anaheim. And so he said, "You want to go with me on the flight?" So I went with. It was me, Reggie. Thurman and his instructor. We flew and we flew from Seattle down to Anaheim on his plane at night. I mean, there's Mount St. Helens off to our left. It was a beautiful night. We flew down there, and uh, um, you know, it was like a week later he crashed it. I'm, you know, and it, uh, he was. I mean, still he was practicing. Touch, he's something's wrong with my plane. I'm going to practice some touch and go landings. Well. Uh, I mean, your car or something on your car, you can drive it along the highway. Well, but you don't go and take a plane up. And I mean, it was pretty sad. It was a, it was a sad day. Very sad. I uh, I hadn't heard that story about you actually flying with us. I mean, you, that's a three-hour flight. You know? Three-hour flight. Wow. And it was it was great. We were flying up above everything. I mean, it was flying. I got to learn how to use when you when you fly a plane, you use your thumbs to fly the plane to try to even it out and I think when you try something with your thumbs it takes about seven seconds for the plane to react to it I, from what I understand when he when he crashed the plane in, in Akron uh, or Canton that he that he tried that and he, he just didn't give himself enough time for that seven seconds to react to it. You were with the Yankees for a few more seasons after that. You mentioned we talked about 83 being your last year there. Spring training of 84, book comes out uh, that you wrote with Peter Golenbach. And I guess the comments about George in that book, did you know that that was your ticket out when it came out? Not really, because I didn't didn't say anything about George any more than everybody else had said about him, you know? I mean, he was... He was fair game in those yeah. days, you know. Okay. Rip George, but he heard the book was coming out, and he thought 
He thought it was one of those ball four books that Jim Bouton did. He thought I had ripped my teammates and told stories on teammates, which I made made sure I did not do. And so when the you know he heard the book was coming out opening day, and he says he said get rid of him. He just signed me to a two year contract, made me captain, signed me to a two year contract. He traded me without even reading the book. The book was kind of funny, and I really didn't rip him. I didn't rip him any more than anybody else had. I didn't call him any names. I just said some of the funny things he did. Uh, so he traded me, and he, he knew the only place I would agree to be traded to at that time would be San Diego, which was my home. And so Gossage had just gone there in the off season as a free agent. And now here I am. I'm coming the last day of spring training. I'm coming. And next thing you know, we're in the World Series. And... That pissed George off really bad. The two of his discards got into the World Series, and he didn't. So he the was, book was nothing at that the point. The book right? was nothing. No, I, I, you know, after after he, if he ever read the book and saw that it really wasn't it wasn't as bad as he thought it was, he might have been he might have been had second thoughts about trading me after signing me to a two year contract. Why would you trade the guy? So you know, we, and we got along fine after I retired and. We, we got along fine after that. Being named captain, I mean, that was the, uh, it had been, what, it was about four years after Thurman died. Right. And you were the first captain after that. That must have been it was pretty a, special. It was quite a thrill for me to be captain. I thought, and at that time, I thought the only captains of the Yankees had been Lou Gehrig, Thurman Munson, and me. Well, I found out that there was, Babe Ruth was captain for a day when he, <laughs> so he went on the stands and punched somebody or something. So, but there was a couple of guys that were just captains for a year, but. I thought I was the third captain, which was really a big thrill. I mean, even being the seventh captain is a huge thrill anyway. But uh, that knowing that Mr. Steinmer had enough, he had enough respect for me to name me a captain because I played the game the way that Thurman did and the way that that George liked him to play. Do you remember how that happened, or like what, what, how he told you? No, nope, I got a call uh, that winter. From Gene Michael, who was the general manager, and he just said, we want you to come back to New York, or we're going to name you captain of the Yankees. I said, well, yeah, I can can work that into my schedule. That works fine for me. Uh, One of the things that I've noticed, I mean, you mentioned Gehrig and then Munson and then it was you, but all the guys since then, uh, Derek Jeter being the last captain, everybody has a place in Monument Park. Uh, Willie Randolph and and Ron Guidry were co-captains after you. There was Don Mattingly, and there was Jeter. Um, everybody has some sort of recognition in Monument Park from Gehrig on, except for you. And I understand how special Monument Park is, but once it's been opened up uh, for guys that maybe weren't Hall of Fame players, I say, okay, now you got to go back and kind of fill in the gaps. And the Yankees did some things uh, strategically with players like Tino Martinez and Paul O'Neill from the great championship teams of the late 90s and have given them a place in Monument Park. So I've been thinking about the guys from the 70s era team, and that's a little underrepresented as far as I'm concerned. I I think guys like you and Roy White can join Reggie, Willie, Guidry, and represent that. How do you feel about that? I think think you're right. Uh, You know, especially Roy. Roy's a unsung guy from that played a long time put up a lot of good numbers uh, you know I used to be when I first got to New York and some Monument Park these were guys that 
played for years and years for the Yankees. And then they started putting guys out there that played five years for the Yankees. And to me, it's it should be some kind of longevity thing or, or, or what you did while you were a Yankee. I mean, I, I understand there's, there's guys that have great numbers, but they didn't have those great numbers for the Yankees. Like I said, when, when I retired, I was sixth on the all-time home runs of Yankees. Only six guys did more. Ruth Gehrig, Mantle, DiMaggio, Barra, me. And so, I don't know. So, and I'm, I'm the only captain that doesn't have a thing out there. Uh, so, somebody, whoever's in charge of this, I mean, if somebody doesn't like me, I don't know. I know if George was still around, I'd be out there. It's been a few years since you've been at the stadium, too, right? I I get up there three or four times a year doing stuff. But uh, as far as old-timers day, I don't know if I'll I'll go back until something changes. Does it bother you? Does it hurt you? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It just... You know, it's lack of respect. Uh, or, like I said, I don't know who's making these decisions. But, uh, you know, I did as much as a Yankee as a whole lot of guys that are in the Monument Park. So I don't see why not. I've, uh, yeah, as I said, when I the Yankees... I know you've been in my camp. When the, when the Yankees start putting more and more guys out there, I feel like you've opened it up to more than just the... You know, Ruth Gehrig, DiMaggio Mantle right. guys. So I feel like there are places for guys like you, for guys like Roy, and fill in. You know, even go back to guys like uh, Hank Bauer, Moose Scourin. You know, there, there are plenty of great Yankee players that you can now include and tell the history of the team if that is indeed your mission with Monument Park. Yeah, I think it, 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 it should be a tribute to guys who, who played there a number of years and, and put up good numbers. I mean, it's not just... I mean, they got guys in there that are just offensive players. I mean, I was an offensive and a defensive player. So it's, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm befuddled by the whole thing. Last thing, I've never heard this story. How, who, how, and where did you get the name Puff? I got that when I was in, uh, when I was in Cleveland in a minor, when I got traded over to Cleveland. I went out with some of the veterans in spring training, and, I, and we were having a few beers. And I, I realized I'd had my three or four beers, and I was going to go go home. And they said, "No, come on, stick around, kid. Come on, kid, stick around, have a couple more." So I had a couple more, and I was I was hurting the next day. So I went out with those same guys the next night, and I said, "Well, instead of telling them I've had enough, I said I'm just going like I'm going to the bathroom and." I just, I'm gone. And one of the pitchers, Dick Ellsworth was his name, he said, his next day at the ballpark, he said, what happened to you last night? I looked around and poof, you were gone. And it's went from poof to puff. And it's just, it's just a way of, I have a way of disappearing when I, it's so much easier just to disappear rather than saying goodbye to everybody. Because when you say goodbye to everybody, you, you hardly ever make it out of there when you want to, you know. know what you mean. Well, uh, listen, uh, thank you for all the time. And I do hope one day um, what we talked about, at least uh, at least the recognition happens. And uh, I mentioned it to, to, to different people at various times. We'll see what happens. But either way, I think, I think you realize that Yankee fans have always held you in very high regard. They have. Yankee fans are the greatest. Greg Nettles, I'll say it again. 
when non-Hall of Fame players are being honored in Monument Park, and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what the Yankees choose to do, then room has to be made for many other next-level great Yankees. Greg Nettles is one of them. Roy White is another. After Derek Jeter has his number retired in and his plaque unveiled next month, Nettles is going to be the only team captain since Lou Gehrig not to have any representation of Monument Park. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. We ran over 30. I do that sometimes. Uh, sometimes the guys are just so good, we just keep going. I'll try to hold it down as we go, but hey, my show, my rules, whatever. <laughs> uh, as long as it's entertaining, I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you all for listening. I'll be back with more next week on another 30 with Murdy. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.